Recently, I was at the airport with my wife and friends. I showed the, the agent my driver's license, my pre-TSA check ticket so I wouldn't have to stand in any lines. I didn't have to take off my shoes. Uh, I was selected to just go right through the, the fast body scanner, not the one where you have to raise up your hands and, and then risk being groped later, right? Like, and, but the thing was, I was all by myself. I was selected to go while my wife and my friends had to wait in line. Like, let's be honest, nobody likes to waste time waiting in line, right? And so I felt pretty special. I was feeling good about myself. I, I, I even looked back as I was waiting for my backpack to come through. I looked back at my wife and friends with a wry smile and I said, it's the little things. <laughs> I was getting a little cocky, you know. And, and, and so uh, as I was waiting for my backpack to go through, I noticed it got flagged. And forced to go down the naughty line of the conveyor belt where the big glass separates you from your crime, right? So, but immediately I knew why it gotten flagged. I knew why it, there was the, the, red, the red alarm went off for, for my backpack. It's because I forgot to pour out or drink the rest of my coffee in my travel mug. I knew instantly. And so when the guy took it, the bag, I was like, I know what it is. It's the fluid. I said, can you just dump out the coffee and I can move on? He said, I could do that, but we'll have to keep your cup. And I thought, are you serious right now? And I said, what was it going to take for me to have my cup back? And, and some of you already know the answer. He said, I'm going to have to walk you to the exit, and you're going to have to walk all the way around and wait in line and do it all again. Guys, I loved this travel mug. And it was worth it to me to go through the whole process again. So I, he hand, at the exit, he handed me my mug. I opened it up. There was just a little bit left. And so as I started drinking it, it tasted so, it was lukewarm, and so I didn't finish it. And so I dumped it out, went around the whole the room, the lobby area, went through the line again. I got reunited, reunited with my travel party. And, I, and it was a little embarrassing, I'll be honest, because now they're like looking at the... And I learned two valuable lessons. First, I was reminded of the words of Jesus where it says, the first shall be last and the last shall be first. But the second lesson is, it wasn't the lukewarm coffee that got me. It was that I let down my guard. I was thinking everything was right. I was thinking I did everything right and feeling pretty good about myself when in reality I was not in compliance with their expectations for safety. And I wonder if you are like that as well. I wonder if you feel that way in church, spiritually. Like there is something in you or on you that, is, that you may be unaware of that, that God wants to check. And here's, it's a little tricky because you're already here at church, right? You've already walked by the greeters. You got up, you got the effort to get up a little bit earlier, come to church, drive. You got a parking spot. You came in. You've been singing the songs. You brought your Bible. You're like, I'm here. I'm right. Everything is good. But I wonder if there's still something in your life spiritually that's not right with God, that the Holy Spirit wants to bring conviction up, to bring change, to help you get in closer relationship with him. That's exactly what Jesus had in mind when he wrote the letter to the church of Laodicea. Please turn with me in your Bibles to Revelation chapter 3. I'm so grateful that you're here for the finale of our Letters to the Churches series. Have you enjoyed the letters? Are you grateful for God's word? 
Are you grateful that these letters were inspired by the Holy Spirit, written from God himself, not only to the seven churches in Revelation, but they're alive and they're for us as well today. God's word is active. It's living. It's breathing. It's without error. And so may we be excited and eager to see what the Holy Spirit is saying to us today. This one's a difficult one, y'all. It's no joke. It's straight up. It's like some of you, it's going to be a giant wake-up call. And, and for some of you, it's going to change your life. But starting in verse 14 of Revelation chapter 3, to the angel, some translations say to the pastor of the church in Laodicea, write, these are the words. Notice how Jesus refers to himself to the church in Laodicea. He says, these are the words of the amen, the faithful and true witness, the ruler of God's creation. Jesus says, I'm not just the first word, I'm the last word. I'm a a witness that's true, that I'm not false, and and I'm the ruler, I'm the king of kings, the lord of lords. I'm over all creation. He's establishing his authority. Aren't you grateful that you serve a God who's an authority over us, that can be trusted, that is the beginning and the end. Amen. And so there's something that we need to know about the church of Laodicea. We need to know something about the context geographically. Because as we've been following all of these letters, they were written in kind of like, uh, you almost got kind of see, started with Ephesus and it, it works its way around almost like in a, in a clock. And we end up here in Laodicea. It was very far inland. And, and so there was pros and cons to that. Pros because it was so far inland and it was high from an elevation standpoint. It was several hundred feet in the air. So the whole city was like on a like on a crown or a plateau that is set up really high. So it was protected from any attacks at the enemy. It was hard to get to. But the con was their water system. They had to pipe in water from a long distance away through an aqueduct system. So that's very unique about this city. It was also known for producing soft black wool. It, it, had, it was a major banking center. They had a medical... Uh, breakthrough that they made this eye cream, this kind of soft that was exported to help people with eye problems all over the known world. They were a very wealthy city. In fact, in AD 60, there was a great earthquake at the city, and the Roman government offered financial assistance and help, which the city of Laodicea rejected because they didn't want to wait and they thought they could do it better. They were well off. They were wealthy. They were rich. If it was like in our community, it would have been the church that was kind of maybe near the shops of at, at La Catera or the Rim, right? All the fancy shops and the luxurious and expensive car dealerships. And that's where the, the Laodicea is. At. That's where the church and the church was was right there, and they were rich, influential, they felt important, they were successful in their own eyes, they were living high, and, but Jesus sees everything, and this is a church that would have read all these other letters to the other churches, so when it got to them, they were probably eager to hear what are the good things that God's going to encourage us about. But this is the only letter, this is the only church that received no encouragement. In fact, Jesus comes right out and he says, I know your deeds. And this time it meant you're not fooling me. You might have everyone else convinced that you're okay. 
You may have your small group leader fooled. You may have your pastor fooled. You may have your, your mama fooled. But you're not full of me. I see everything. I see what's done in secret. You can't fool me. He says, I know your deeds, that you are neither cold nor hot. I wish you were either one or the other. So because you are lukewarm, neither hot nor cold, I'm about to spit you out of my mouth. Now, the Laodiceans would have recognized this imagery because their water system, it took so long for their water to get to them that it was like stagnant. It was, it was lukewarm. It made people sick and nauseated. It was not hot enough to restore. It was not cold enough to be refreshing. It was just lukewarm at best. Some of you have experienced this before, right? You had an expectation in the morning to get a cup of coffee. Maybe you were at home or at the workplace in the office and you filled up your coffee and you just weren't sure. But by faith, you took a sip. And if it was lukewarm, how did you respond? Some of you just spit it right back up in your cup, right? You didn't even drink it. It was terrible. That's why you have hot tubs and cold tubs. You don't have lukewarm. Lukewarm is terrible. And what is true physically is true spiritually. And, and Jesus sees this. It's like if your spiritual life is like water, if it's like it's either three temperatures, you're either hot, you're cold, or lukewarm. Now there's some disagreement, according to theologians, about what the cold water meant. Some believe it means like you, were, you have no relationship with God, you're in sin, but you're at least honest about it, you don't care. Others would say, you know what, cold water is not a bad thing. That's why Jesus said, I would prefer you either be hot or cold. Cold is refreshing. It can be good. But regardless of the confusion on the cold water, we can find great agreement of what the hot water and lukewarm is. Hot water is someone who has a vibrant spiritual life. They're walking with the Lord. They're more in love with Jesus than they have been in the past. They are more in love with other people. They're serving with the gifts that God has given them. They're generous. They're passionate in worship. There's no confusion, right? Like they, This is someone that when you see their walk with the Lord, you know they're legit and inspires you to do so. That's someone who's hot, white hot for the Lord. But someone who's lukewarm... It's like, man, they know what's right, but they, they fail to do it. They should be responsible about with, the, with what they know, but they're, they're disobedient. They know it's important to spend time with the Lord, to open up God's word daily and feed themselves and, and spend time in prayer or gratitude, but maybe they've grown to a place where they've hardened their heart and they're no longer dependent upon the Lord and they've become independent. Maybe you know what God's word says about sexual purity, but when it comes to dating, pornography, sex outside of marriage, there's compromise and sin, and you've found a way to justify it. I'm in love where no one else knows, no one else is getting hurt, but God sees it all. People who are lukewarm know what they should do to steward God's gifts and money and manage it for the glory of God, but can become selfish and store up treasures here on earth. You know what the Bible says about lying, gossip, and hurtful words, but you just can't help but give in to temptation anyway. You know what's right and you know what's wrong, but you found a way to compromise, and it's hardened your heart, and, and God is not pleased. Or maybe it's just the opposite. Maybe it's not that you know what's right and you don't do it. Maybe you're doing it, 
but your heart is far from God, and you're only doing it for a show. And the Bible's very clear that that's the art of hypocrisy. It's pretending to be something that you're not. It's going through the emotions so you think you're fooling yourself, you're fooling other people. It's like Jesus said, you're worshiping me with your lips, but your heart is far from me. And so you can show up and say the right things, do the right things, but God sees everything. In fact, and Jesus says in Matthew chapter 7, on the day of judgment, when we all stand before the Lord, he said there's going to be some that are going to hear these words. These are the prophetic words about Jesus, and some of them are lukewarm. Verse 21 of Matthew 7, he says, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only he who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and in your name drive out demons and perform many miracles? Then I will tell them plainly, I never knew you. Away from me, you evil doers. There's going to be folks that are lukewarm, so lukewarm in their faith, but yet they were disobedient to the things that God commanded and asked. And they're going to say, I had moments, didn't I, Lord? Don't you remember those times that, that I served? Don't you remember that time that I actually drove people at the GFC parking lot in the golf cart? I actually wore a GFC church t-shirt to work once. Remember that? But yet when it came to the things that were really important to the Lord and, and having a relationship and a pleasing and, and being set apart for him, there was... There was a lack of congruency. There was, they weren't in alignment with the spiritual life and the actions. And he's saying, apart from me. He says to the church of Laodicea, you make me want to spit you out of my mouth. Your spiritual condition is of such. He says, wake up. In verse 17, he says, you say I am rich. I have acquired wealth and do not need a thing. But you do not realize you are wretched, pitiful, Poor, blind, and naked. See, they were deceiving not only others, they were deceiving themselves. They had reached a place because of their wealth that they were so independent. Maybe stopped praying, stopped being dependent upon the community and others. They were rich in spiritual pride, but bankrupt in the saving grace of the Lord. The message, which is it's just a paraphrase, it says it even in a harsher way. It says, I know you inside and out and find little to my liking. You're not cold and you're not hot. Far better to be either cold or hot. But you're stale. You're stagnant. You make me want to vomit. You brag, I'm rich. I've got it made. I need nothing from anyone. Oblivious that in the fact you're a pitiful blind beggar, fed bear, and homeless. Now, Jesus could have judged this church instantly. He could have taken his lampstand away from the church. He could have removed his anointing, but his desire was to be close to his people. He wants to be close to his family, close to his children who have knowledge of who he is. And he doesn't want to judge. He doesn't want to discipline. He doesn't want, but he will because he loves and so he's trying to make them aware of their spiritual condition because they were so spiritually blind. They thought they were right. They thought they were okay. They thought they were hot. But in reality, they were not. And so in verse 18, he says, I counsel you to buy from me gold refined in the fire. Remember, God's that all-consuming fire. He says, so you can become rich. 
and white clothes to wear so you can cover your shameful nakedness. Now, Jesus isn't actually talking about real gold here. He's talking about a spiritual kind of gold. It's more valuable than gold. Peter talks about it in his letter. He talks about how your faith is like, like gold. Like, he's, but he's referring to a faith unto the Lord. He says, I want, Jesus is saying, I want you to put your trust in me, not in your riches. He's saying, remember, they were a community that produced a lot of clothing. And so that was important to them. But even spiritual clothing, he's saying, I want you to not be dependent upon your own clothes that, that are maybe symbolic of self-righteousness, but I want you to put on that white robe of righteousness that the Bible talks about. Trade that for the kind of deeds that go with genuine faith out of a heart of love for the Lord and wants to bring glory to God. He says, and salve to put on your eyes so you can see. Again, these are images they would have understood. They prided themselves in a spiritual superior knowledge but Jesus is saying you're spiritually blind open up your eyes may you see the truth may you see your true spiritual condition the way I see it wake up and then in verse 19 he says that says something that some of you would theologically oppose because you think God is just a loving God and but in verse 19 Jesus says those whom I love I rebuke and discipline. And so what's the response? What's the expectation of Jesus? For those who are lukewarm, he says, be earnest and repent. Turn from your sin and turn to God. Be honest. Stop trying to fool yourself. Don't be content with being lukewarm. But he says, those whom I love, I discipline. Several years ago, I had one of my children, they were in third grade, and another one of my kids brought something to my attention where they had done something wrong. And so privately in a one-on-one, -on -one, I asked my child if this was true, and they denied it. And so I brought the evidence. Right when I brought the evidence, they couldn't hide. And so I said, uh, you know Daddy loves you. But I've got to discipline you. And so I took off my belt and I said, I'm disciplining you not only because of your sin, but because you lied to me. And I spanked my child. And after I was done with tears coming down my child's face, I need to share this story in first service, but uh, it's been a long time since I've spanked my kids, but I'll never forget this moment because my child said, Daddy, Spank me more because I never want to lie to you again. I thought, wow, as God's children or just as Christians, how often do we get to a place that we're so defensive, that we're not open to correction or reprove, and we're resisting God's love and his blessing in his life. For God loves, and for those he loves, he disciplines because he wants to bring blessing. He wants to be in right relationship. So may we not harden our hearts to the word of God. May we not have itching ears to only hear what we want to hear. But may we be honest before the Lord. And when our lives get out of alignment, when we're missing the, the mark, may we be humble enough 
and loving and trusting enough to say, God, I welcome your discipline in your life, in my life, even when it hurts, even when it makes me feel uncomfortable, because I want to be close to you, and I want to fulfill your purposes in my life. And so he says, I love those I discipline, so repent, turn from your sin, turn to God. In verse 20, he says, here I am. I like the King James Version version a little bit better. It says, behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and eat with him and he with me. You see how much the Lord desires fellowship? We read these words and we think, oh, that's for someone else. That's for someone who's a sinner who has never been saved. But the reality is Jesus is giving these words to the church. And he's saying, I'm standing at the door. I want to come in, but because of your lukewarmness, you shut me out. And I desire to have relationship with you. And the very place that I desire to be in my presence is in the church with my children. So don't harden Your heart before the Lord, but be sensitive to his spirit today. Be sensitive to his conviction. Where there is secret sin, don't hide any longer. Where the desire of the Lord is to spend more time with you, do not run in another direction. 